Good morning, church family. What a delight to see you here today. We sing to the one who is the matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. This is amazing grace. Would you stand together with us and let's sing together. Who brings the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy Welcome to worship today. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've chosen to worship with us 
even today. If you are our guest today, we are super glad that you are here. If you would, take your order of worship, and there's a perforated section there. We'd love for you to tear that off so that we might be able to pray for you, get to know you a little bit better as we go through this day. Our staff prays for all of those requests every Tuesday afternoon, and we pray for them by name. And if you are a first-time visitor with us, we want you to join our pastor, Dr. Stuart Holloway, and his wife, Rebecca, at the end of our service out in the foyer, and they will give you a gift of his book, The Privilege of Worship, and it's just a great joy to to be able to read that and to uh, be able to give that to you as our gift today. Thank you again for being here. We continue our worship with the Ordinance of Believers Baptism. Church family, what a joy it is to be able to celebrate baptism this morning, and this morning we're celebrating uh, the baptism, profession of faith, of Kevin Tullis. Kevin's been attending here for many years with his wife, Tina, who's been a member most of her life here at First Baptist, but Kevin came to our New and Perspective members class last Sunday night and decided it was time to become an official member of this church and to also let you know about his profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So I know you celebrate with me this morning as we baptized Kevin Tullis. Kevin, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. God bless you, man. We've got some special guests with us today. We're delighted to have Kelly and Kristen with us. Kelly and Kristen Fusilier, would you make them welcome today? They're singing with us. They led worship uh, this past weekend at the women's conference, and we just decided, you know what? Why don't you just go to church with us? So we invited them to come, and so they're joining us. We're super glad y'all are here. It's a blessing. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It'll be a great song of worship today. Kelly's going to sing this first verse. Let's sing together. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing Tune my heart grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love. Sing with us. Oh, to the 
for us now. Join our hearts together as we continue our worship time. We had an amazing time this weekend, and uh, the theme of the conference this weekend was Be Still. And the beautiful thing about it was a bunch of women just in the room seeking after the face of God. And I think a lot of times we get distracted by seeking the hands of God. But this weekend, we just sought after his presence and after just who he is. And in the midst of seeking after who he is, what we are reminded of is who he says we are in him. And scripture tells us that we are saved, that we are justified by his righteousness, and that he is for us, he is never against us, he will never forsake us. All of these good things about scripture that will ring true forever and ever in Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna sing this song uh, that just simply says, I am who you say I am, and I trust that this morning. the highest king would welcome me I was lost but he brought me and know oh, his love for me oh his love for me whom the sun sets free oh is free indeed how much runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died. Scripture says today, as Pastor Stewart preaches to us today, there's two phrases in there that just mean a lot to me. Do not let your heart be troubled. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to know this today, beloved, that you are who God says you are. And He is our living hope today. Amen? That's why we sing. That's why we worship. So let's continue to worship together and sing together. Living hope. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness to 
Would you sing that hymn with just our voices? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but Shall we pray? Our Father, we do thank you for lifting up our voices today to you and glorifying you. You are the true God. We just pray, Father, that you will make that more so in our lives today. Father, as we now move into another part of our worship by presenting our tithes and offerings, we pray that they will be used in a way that will be very beneficial to your kingdom's growth. And we just lift that up to you today. Be with our pastors. He preaches your word. May it come across clear to us that what we need to do for this coming week and every day to share the gospel with people that we maybe know that don't know the gospel or people we run into who need encouragement, we just give it to you and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So in keeping with the theme of hope, um, we want to do a song for you guys that we've actually never done before. Uh, we wrote it, and um, if there's a season that both of me and Kristen have been in since we moved to Nashville, it's been this. And it's been simply that we have to believe that God is for us and God is good. And if we don't trust that, if we don't believe that the hope we have in him is enough, then we're going to drown. And those waves are going to come over us. And so... This song was written in light of the gospel, in light of uh, what we know to be true about the crucifixion and the resurrection and what that means for us. Um, and it means that we have not only a living hope, but a great living hope. If we have nothing else, if, if God never gives us another blessing in life, the fact that Jesus came, died, and rose for us is enough. And that is enough for us to plant our feet, to anchor ourselves in. And so as we sing this, as we recount the gospel through this song, uh, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts this morning and remind us of the great hope that we have in God, that it doesn't matter what happens in life, because scripture tells us he gives and he takes away, right? But the one thing he talks about that he will not take away is the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. drove nails into your head our imperfections crowned upon your head our failures and our shame you carried to the grave and you resurrected life in us again we have great hope in the cross Great hope. 
Come over here for a second. Kelly and Kristen, come on over here. Have you enjoyed these ladies this morning? I mean, they are such a blessing. Got to know Kelly first probably 10 years ago when she was at Louisiana College in Voices. And I remember the first time I saw Voices sing. It was just amazing to watch her leading worship. And then when I got to see her paired up with her sister, uh, they've had an amazing ministry. And God's doing wonderful things. They're in Nashville now. We're so proud of them. And I'm so glad we could have them here today. And we just wanted to pray over you guys and to ask the Lord to bless you and your ministry as God continues to use you. And so Rebecca's going to come and lead us all in prayer. And church family, just as a sign of us all being together, and lifting them up. Would you just extend your hands toward these ladies? And we want to lift them up in prayer this morning. Oh, Father God, as I said yesterday, as I was um, leading us in worship, we are so proud of these girls because they're ours, Lord. They <laughs> feel like they are ours. And Lord, you have called them out and set them apart to do something great in your kingdom. And when that happens, Lord, we have an enemy that comes against us mm -hmm. and says we're not worthy. And as Kelly said yesterday, no, we're not. We're not worthy of the cross of Christ. But because of your great love for us, you chose us before the foundation of the earth. And we are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God to bring people out of darkness into your great light. And that is what you have called them mm -hmm. to do. And Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just cover them with your Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You would protect them against any weapon formed against them. God, that you would give them people all around them that encourage them, Lord, that build them up, that help them in their ministry. God, we know that you have great plans for them. Mm -hmm. And I know that many people will be impacted by their ministry over the years. And I just pray, God, that they would just continually run to you and run to your word and cling to you with all their might as they set out on this mighty task that you have ahead of them. Lord, bless them. Keep them, protect them, and Lord, we cannot wait to see what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. You never know what God can do from little old Pineville, so pray that God will do wonderful things. Well, I tell you, I was struck with some anxiety on uh, Tuesday afternoon. I was home, and Zach came in from school, and 
he handed me this folder, and he said, Daddy, they gave us this new folder today. And so I thought maybe it was like a new folder for a new kind of papers. Well, it was a new kind of paper, all right. I opened up the folder, and it said, Social Studies Fair Project. <laughs> and immediately my palms grew sweaty, and my heart raced, and my face flushed, and I passed out right there. Not really, but I did have a moment of, No! Because I remember those social studies projects from fifth through eighth grade. Fifth through eighth grade, not fourth grade. And all of the long hours and working on those things and my, my wonderful mama getting up early and staying up late to finish things that I didn't get done. And, and um, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, so I, I texted Rebecca. She was out of town. I said, I'm really anxious right now. I got some anxiety, you know. But we're excited about uh, that project, but it's a whole, a whole week to her. Any, any of y'all in fourth grade parents, you're like, no, give us another year. You know, anxiety can come on us in the weirdest ways. And anxiety and stress comes on us. And what I experienced Tuesday was really nothing. But there are other concerns that come on us that truly bring anxiety Life presents all kinds of situations, demanding deadlines that keep you up late at night and stressed, diagnoses that scare us and, and re redirect our entire life, uh, financial problems that twist our stomachs in knots, relationship issues that tear at our hearts. Some of these come on us suddenly, others come on us uh, in entire seasons of our life, and still others come and go without warning. You know, oddly enough, though we are probably the wealthiest people to ever live on earth, and we have more conveniences than ever, we are the most stressed out generation to ever live on earth. Psychologists tell us that in any given year, about 17% of us will have an anxiety disorder. And over our lives, about 28 of us will. And if you have an anxiety disorder, they say you'll probably have two or three anxiety disorders and possibly depression in your life. In all total, 49%, almost half of the general population, has a history of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, or some other kind of manifestation of those problems. And all of this anxiety affects our health. We have uh, people with panic disorder or more likely to have mitral valve prolapse, hypertension, peptic ulcer, diabetes, angina, thyroid disease. And then anxiety is even on the rise. Do you know that today the average high school student has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s? High school is the new insane asylum. <laughs> What's really sad is we're getting more anxious by the decade. Psychologists have speculated some reasons for this or that um, we have a decrease in social connectedness. You know, we have 2,000 friends on Facebook or Instagram or followers or whatever, but we tend to change jobs and move more frequently. We are less involved in community civic organizations. We're less involved in church. We uh, delay getting married if we get married at all. And people today are more likely to live alone. And then you add to that our technology-saturated culture, which was supposed to make our lives a lot easier, they told us. Back in like the 1980s, it was going to be paperless, and we were only going to work three days a week. And, and now everything follows us all the time, and work is always with us. And then we live with the constant fear that at any moment it all may crash, or we might get hacked, or God forbid the Internet go down and we can't do anything. And we just need a Xanax. Further, we have higher expectations than our grandparents and people that lived 50 years ago. We expect to have a more affluent lifestyle. We're driven by unrealistic ideas of what we need. We want what they have now, today, ourselves. And we have unrealistic ideas about relationships and appearance and all of these things society tells us. And, and our anxiety isn't helped by the fact that our news and social feeds are constantly filled with the latest catastrophe, the latest warning, the latest scam to watch out for, the latest breaking terrible news that's happened somewhere around the world. 
We can't talk about an issue without offending someone. Uh, we can't compliment anyone for fear of sexual harassment. We, we, even things we repented of 30 years ago and God forgave and has forgotten, our enemy will dig up 30 years later and used to destroy us. No wonder, as one psychology article said, no wonder we're nervous wrecks. So what do we do? Well, there's counseling, which is valuable in certain situations. It's offered as an extension of, of a ministry of our church. And yes, there's medication for certain situations where there must be some extra help. But is there a way to handle a lot of this before it gets to the point of counseling and or medication? When your heart is troubled by stresses and anxieties that inevitably come at life, is there anything you can try? And the answer is yes. We believe the Bible has the answers for our life, right? And unfortunately, though, sometimes many of us who look to our faith for support in our struggle with anxiety or depression often get condemnation. Or we get oversimplification or flipping answers and, and, and people throw at us a, a verse like Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. And it's, it's like some kind of biblical Prozac that we're supposed to take and everything's going to be wonderful. But the fact is that we're not. We don't want to be anxious about anything. We want to live that way. But the, but the truth is we, we just are. And then further, if, if it's not stated outright, it's implied that that anxiety is just a sin or a faith issue. And if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Repent, take a Bible pill, and it'll be fine. And, yeah, worry is a sin because we're telling God he can't handle it. We're taking it. And some anxiety may have a root in personal sin. It doesn't all. It, it doesn't all. But when the church offers platitudes and generalities to specific problems, we leave feeling that our pain isn't legitimate and the advice we may receive, we're no, we're no closer to consolation or liberation than we were when we came in. We're still a nervous wreck. So does Jesus say anything to us? What, how does, how does he, he address this issue? Well, he says a lot. And our biblical text for today gives us some specific help. And if you want to know what to do when your heart is troubled, then turn to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. At this point in the Gospel of John, the Last Supper is coming to an end. Judas has left the room. Jesus and the remaining disciples are just there hanging out around the table talking. And Jesus has just laid a bomb on Peter with a huge question and a disappointing prediction when he said, Peter, would you really lay down your life for me? Because uh, I tell you, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And I imagine that when Jesus said that, Peter felt about two inches tall, and it caused some angst among the group, and Jesus saw that. And so he says in verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus could read the faces and the hearts of his disciples. He saw their concern. So he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. The idea is don't let your heart shudder. Don't shake in your boots. In the previous chapter, it's the same word that was used for how Jesus was feeling and the emotion he had when he knew that Judas was going to go astray. It's a strong word. And he was saying specifically to his disciples, guys, especially in the imminence of the cross that's to come, your life is going to look like it is falling apart. But do not let your heart be troubled. We may even translate it, stop letting your heart be troubled. Sometimes we let our heart grow troubled. And Jesus says, don't let that happen. Well, how in the world do you do that? How in the world do you not have anxiety? How in the world do you not let your heart be troubled in, in some of these ways? And the answer is the next statement in verse 1. Trust in God. Trust also in me. The tense of those verbs tell us a little more than really some of our English translations get at. 
Because the idea is keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God. Focus on his sovereignty because he is in control. Focus on his omniscience because he knows everything. Focus on his omnipotence because he is all-powerful. Focus on his omnipresence because he is with you. Focus on that and keep on focusing on that. And that is what you do when you are troubled and anxious and depressed and worried and scared. Jesus tells us one thing. When you are troubled, trust in me. He knows our hearts will be troubled. He knows troubles will come to us in this life. Therefore, Jesus has compassion. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't just pat us on the back and say, oh, they're there. Neither does he... Pat us on the back and say, well, you know, life stinks, but I'm with you. And neither does he say, spread sunshine all over the place and put on a happy face. He doesn't do any of that. Jesus recognizes that life has troubles. He tells us, though, not to let our hearts be troubled. And then he points to a way out. And the way out is him. He is that way out. When you're troubled, trust in Jesus. That is where it has to begin. Now, please don't hear that as a platitude or an easy answer because trusting Jesus is one of the hardest things to do in life. Anybody agree with that? Just trusting Jesus is one of the hardest things. We say it all the time. Oh, just trust and obey. Yeah, but that's hard. But the beginning of the end of our trouble is found at the beginning of our trust in Jesus. There may be times when we need counsel. There may be times when we need medication. But for far more often than we admit, the troubles of life would go strangely dim if we would focus on Jesus. Too often anxiety mounts because we're, we don't trust him. And so when you're troubled, trust Jesus. But Jesus knew that in saying that, we would need a little bit more explanation. And so he gives us that. And as he continues, we find some reasons that we can trust in Jesus. The first is when you're troubled, trust Jesus because he is preparing a better home for you. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I've preached these verses many times for a message on heaven or preached them for funerals because they tell us wonderful things about heaven. But in the context of the passage, Jesus uses these truths about heaven to tell us, don't be troubled because I'm preparing a better home for you. This world has troubles. Life is not going to be perfect. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad this world is not all there is. I'm glad this is not what eternity is going to be like. I'm glad that anxiety and sorrow and disappointment and heartache will all be gone one day because Jesus is preparing a home for me. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's preparing a home for you as well. And in these three verses, Jesus tells us some wonderful things about this perfect home in heaven. Jesus calls it his father's house. And that means it's a real place, and it's a good place. Anyone want to spend forever in a real good place? Any, and, and of course we want to be there, and Jesus is making us realize heaven is home. As the lady sang earlier, in my father's house, there's a place for me. Home is where the heart is. When we hear the word home, we get warm feelings inside. Jesus tells us there's plenty of room for us in his father's house. Some translations like the NIV that I'm using have rooms. Some of them have dwelling places. The old King James Version says mansions. I'm a little partial to the fact of looking forward to a mansion one day in heaven. However... I thought about this as I was studying this week. Whether it's a room or a mansion, a room at home is better than a mansion in a strange place any day. Do you agree? 
Jesus tells us he's preparing this perfect home for us. And it's not a cookie-cutter, Dallas-Fort Worth subdivision home where every third house looks like another one except for the color of shutters. It is a handcrafted place for you and for me made by Jesus himself, who, by the way, was a carpenter when he was here on earth. If you have surrendered to Jesus, you've got a mansion over the hilltop. And when the troubles of life mount up, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in Jesus because he's preparing a better home for you. Well, the Apostle Thomas heard that and he had trouble with it. And when Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Maybe you have trouble with that too. Thomas asked him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how in the world can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And here we find our second lesson. When you're troubled, trust Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to go somewhere, it's helpful to know where you are going. An address helps you a great deal because you can plug it into your GPS or into your phone or you can go old school and use a paper map. And then you can figure out your journey. You can know where you're heading so you can figure out how long it should take you. You can figure out how you're going to go, where you need to turn, where you might need to stop for the night, what the destination is like. But you know there's an even easier way to go somewhere that you don't know how to get there or where it even is. You don't even need a map. You don't need an app. You don't need anything. All you need to go somewhere when you don't know where you're going is to get in the car with someone who does know where they're going. And you don't have to know how long it's going to take. You don't have to know where you're going to stop. You don't have to worry about what turn to take. You don't have to worry about any of that. You just sit there and they take you. It is the most stress free, absolutely no anxiety way to travel unless the person you're driving, riding with is a maniac at the steering wheel. But other than that, you don't have to worry about anything because you are with the person who knows the way. So Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So we can't know the way. We need a map. We need to figure out directions. Can the donkey make it? Is there a place to get some water for the donkey? Is there a town or two along the way? Where are we going to stop for supper? Where are we going to sleep? Jesus says, Thomas, just come with me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The I is emphatic, meaning that I and no other, no one else who's ever lived on earth or who ever will live on earth, is the way, the truth, and the life. It's also a strong way. Jesus is stating his divinity. He is saying, I am the way, not one way. I am the truth, not some truth. I am the life, not some life. I am all of it, all of it, locked, loaded, right here. And if you want it, you get in and go with me. And so we learn that the location of heaven isn't what's important. It's knowing the way to heaven, and that's Jesus. We just got to get in with him. Jesus' statement, no one comes to the Father except through me, nullifies any other proposed way to heaven. You can't get there by good works. You can't get there by religious traditions. You can't get there by monetary payments. You can't get there through some other little G God. The only way to heaven is Jesus Christ. He's it. And so Jesus then says in verse 7, if you really knew me, You would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And that explanation of Jesus to Thomas leads Philip now to make a statement. He says, well, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. So Jesus responds, don't you know, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles 
themselves. And here we find our third lesson, and that is when you are troubled, trust, trust Jesus because he is enough. Philip said, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am enough. Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus says, look at me. Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. We can know God the Father by getting to know God the Son. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to get to know the Father. We can know him right here, right now, today. And this is a really close knowing. Knowing is a pretty big deal in the Gospel of John. In fact, he uses that word 141 times. And Warren Wiersbe points out that there are actually four different types of knowing in John's gospel. The first is just simply knowing a fact. The second level is knowing the, the information behind the fact. The third is having a relationship with a person. And then the fourth is having a really deep relationship with a person. Well, it's these relationship ideas that Jesus is getting at here. There is a close relationship with us. You know me, so you know the Father. Philip wanted to see the Father with his own eyes, and Jesus tells him, friend, for three years you've been looking at him. Philip, I and the Father are one, therefore there's no reason to be troubled because Jesus is with you. And if Jesus is with you, God is with you. And if God is with you, well, no matter what you're facing, he is enough. Do you believe that Jesus is enough? I found some questions listed out that are pretty penetrating. When a friend betrays me, is God enough? When I need to forgive what seems unforgivable, is God enough? When my child has issues out of my control, is God enough? When my marriage is on the brink of destruction, is God enough? enough. When I'm not forgiven by someone, is God enough? When my parent is dying of cancer, is God enough? When others don't recognize my value, is God enough? When someone I love uses words to hurt me, is God, is God enough? When I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, is God enough? When my past haunts me, is God enough? When my health declines, is God enough? What's your answer? Is he enough? When you're troubled, trust Jesus because he is enough. But not only that, because we have a fourth principle here, and that is that when you're troubled, trust Jesus because he will empower you. Jesus doesn't keep all the power to himself. Look at verses 12 to 14. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is an astounding statement because Jesus says the one who believes on Jesus will not do similar works or not do works kind of like I did. He says you'll do works just like I did and you'll do even greater works than I was able to do because I'm going to the Father and then I'm going to dispatch the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, and I'm going to empower you so that the, whole, the, the Father may be glorified. When you're troubled, you don't have to be defeated because Jesus empowers you with his Holy Spirit. He gives you strength to press on. Uh, Consider these power punch verses. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, enemies, people coming against you. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41.10 and 13. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of 
your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. I was thinking about that verse. I was like, he takes hold of our right hand and he says, do not fear, I will help you. What's that like? He grabs, he's like, don't fear. I'm going to help you. I've got you. Like a father or a mother with their child, we can do this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. God will empower you because if you are a believer, his spirit is in you. He'll charge you up. He'll fill you up. He'll give you everything you need, not just to endure, but to overcome. 1 John 4, 4, you will overcome because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Anybody glad for that? Friends, stop letting your heart be troubled. When trouble comes, trust Jesus because he's prepared a better home for you. He is the way. He is the truth, the life. He is enough, and he is empowering you. Isn't that good news? It made me think about what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now listen to this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If you're troubled today, surrender to Jesus, because that's what it means to trust, and that's why it's so hard. Hands off, surrender, fall into his arms. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Keep on believing in God and keep on believing in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word because you know where we live. You know what's going on in our lives. You know the struggles. You know the heartaches. You know the frustrations. You know the concerns. You know the anxiety, depression, and all those things that we deal with. And, Lord, we thank you that you know them and that you are enough. And so, Lord, we lean in on you this morning. And so, Lord, in this moment, I pray, God, for the breaking of strongholds in our lives that anxiety is brought in and that depression is brought in and all of these things that come into our lives and tear us down and hold us back. And we pray, God, that you would come in and break those by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd empower us and that you would do victoriously and exceedingly beyond what we could ask or imagine as that is removed. And so, Lord, we ask for you to move in. We surrender our lives to you today. And, Lord, for those in this room who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would surrender their lives to you for salvation so that they can have all of these hopes and wonderful things that we've talked about today. I pray, God, for the power of salvation to come, for this is the day of salvation. This is the day of victory. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to people's hearts now clearly, help them to know. Lord, for others who may need to come and lift up burdens to you to, at the altar, for others who may need to come and lift up victories to you in praise and, and rejoicing, God, I pray that they would feel free to lift up, use this time as a time of just surrendering and celebrating what you've done. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, that it's practical in 2019, and that it sits right where we are and speaks to us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.